Okay, let's turn to uh, Romans 4. We're going to continue along the lines of where we were last week, last session. We're talking about changing things and how God changes things and how he taught Abraham to change things. And if he taught Abraham, then we should be doing it as well. If God did it and Abraham did it, then we should be doing it the way God did it. So um, Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Let's say that last phrase together. Calls those things which be not as though they were. Again. Calls those things which be not as though they were. One more time. Calls those things which be not as though they were. So uh, last time we looked back at Genesis 17, which is the scripture that Paul is referring to here. And back in Genesis 17, God changed Abram's name uh, from Abram, which meant exalted father, to Abraham, which is father of a multitude. And he changed Sarai's name from uh, Sarai, which I think was uh, princess or something like that, or little princess, something like that, to Sarah, which is um, mother of many nations. And by adding the, uh, he, you notice the Sarah, A-H, and Abraham, A-H, it's part of God's name, Jehovah. So God gave them part of his name uh, when he changed his name. So uh, God said, I have made you the father of many nations. And this calling, changing their names and calling, beginning to call them the father of many nations and the mother of many nations was part of the process that quickened their dead bodies, that quickened their physical body and actually made them alive, enabling them to have children. This, and this was part of the process. It wasn't God just zapped them or something. It was this process of faith call, uh, calling things that be not as though they were. God didn't say, I'm going to make you the father of many nations one day in my timing. <coughs> he said, I'm calling you the father of many nations now. And in the, in the mind and plan of God, he was already the father of a multitude. So this is why we don't wait till we feel healed to call ourselves healed. We don't wait till we look blessed to call ourselves blessed. We have to call ourselves healed. We have to call ourselves strong. We have to call ourselves blessed. And you have to refuse to let anybody call you anything else. So... Um, Every time Abraham heard his name, he heard father of many nations. He heard, thus saith the Lord. Every time Sarah heard somebody call her name, she heard mother of many nations. She heard, thus saith the Lord. And over, 
during this process, they began to, faith began to rise inside and they began to see themselves having children. Uh, and uh, they came to the point where they began to believe this is going to happen. Uh, you know, physically, hormones had to be restored and revived. I mean, their bodies had to have a whole uh, overhaul. Uh, you know, it's, it's not that God just zapped them. Uh, this was a, a process where hormones had to be revived and so forth in their bodies. Uh, hold your place in Romans 4, and let's look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11, says, Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So, uh, calling things that be not as though they were, is involved in bringing something that's dead back to life. And this is God's process of doing it. Their bodies were dead and they had to be brought back to life. This is God's way of changing what is seen and bringing into existence things that are not seen. Uh, we won't turn there, but God began this process back in Genesis 1 verse 2 where it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was dark, and God desired light, so he called for light. He called for what he desired. Faith speaks what it desires. It calls for what it desires. Uh, you know, he did not continue to talk about the darkness. He called for what did not exist. Light is what did not exist. That's what he called for. He didn't continue to talk about what did exist. He didn't say, well, I can't lie. Uh, it's dark and that's just the way it is. No, he called for what did not exist. And if God had not called for what he desired, we'd all still be sitting here in the dark. Uh, now this principle of faith runs throughout the Bible. Uh, write this down. God does not accept things that are. God does not accept things that are. He calls for what is not. God does not accept things that are. He calls for what is not. And this is a primary way God releases his creative power to change things. You know, some people say, well, when's God going to heal me? Uh, can't he see I need more money? Well, if God was only moved by need, it wouldn't be long before the devil was just leading God around. Yes. The devil would run over here and he'd create a need and God would run over there and fix it. He'd come over here and create a need and God would run over there and fix it. And, and, the, and the devil would just be leading God around and controlling the movement of God. So faith is what activates God. And God taught Abraham to do this. Now here in Romans 4.17, uh, 
It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him. Now that's the King James Version. Uh, and in my, the margin of my Bible, there where it says before him, it has a number one. And if you look over in the margin, it says like unto him, like unto God. Abraham, like God, copied God. And he refused to call him anything else. He refused to call himself anything else except the father of many nations. And he refused to answer to anything else. So Abraham, like God, called things that are not as though they were. He, he copied God. He imitated God in this process. Young's literal translation says, a father of many nations, I have set thee. Before him whom he did believe, God who is quickening the dead and is calling the things that be not as being. God calls things that be not as being. This is what we're doing with Ben. We're calling things that are not seen as though they already existed. We're calling new chromosomes. We're calling the quickening of his cells. We're calling the quickening of his speech and his understanding. We call wholeness as being. We call new chromosomes as being. We call perfect speech as being. That's what we're calling for. What, what does not exist, that's what we call for. So Ben, you are free from Down syndrome now. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. It has left you. Yes. Down syndrome has left you. Amen? I think there's one translation in the Bible that says, says uh, along that line. I've got to find that. It has left you. I think it's the one with the, um, <coughs> the woman with the infirmity, which we're going to look at later. But it says uh, <coughs> it, it has left you. So I thought that was good. That was just quickened to me. Amen. He's, Jesus says, "Faith has gone; it's left him." Something is like that. The woman that touched his garment. Yeah, he said that faith, virtue, left him. Yeah, he recognized it. That's not the one you think. No, this was the woman in the synagogue that was bowed over. We're gonna look look at that scripture uh, here in a few minutes. So this is why we make our faith declarations, which actually we forgot to do today. <laughs> but we call for manifestations. We call for visitations and demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. We call for our harvest. We call for signs and wonders and instant healings and notable miracles. We call for increase in the ministry. Let's say this together. We have 100 people in these meetings. Amen. Hallelujah. We call things that be not as being. Amen. So it, since this is a principle in the Bible that runs throughout the Bible, we should be able to find this in some other place besides just the life of Abraham. We should be able to find this principle operating in other places in the Bible and in other people's lives. So let's look at, at several. We're not going to do all of them, but I've chosen a few, here, several here to look at. Let's look at 2 Kings 4.
2 Kings 4. This is the Shunammite woman and her husband. I'll just give you a little background here so we don't have to read the whole story. But um, this woman and her husband built an extension onto their house because they wanted to bless the man of God, Elisha. Uh, and so they built this extension onto their house so that he could stay with them when he was traveling in that area. And in return for their hospitality and generosity, he wanted to do something for them, to bless them. So he sent his servant. He said, go ask, go ask them what uh, I can do for them, you know, in return for their hospitality. And the servant came back and said, well, they don't have any kids and the husband is old. So uh, Elisha called the woman to him and said, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. And it came to pass. And when the, su the son got older, he grew up and he got older, he was working out in the field one day with his father, and he got sick. And they took him in the house, and he died in his mother's arms. And she went and laid him, his body, on Elisha's bed. So let's pick up the story here in verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? In other words, why are you going to him today? It's, it's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. And she said, it's awful. <laughs> is that what she said? It is well. What's she doing? Calling things that are not as though they already existed. She's calling for what she desires. She's not talking about how she feels. She's speaking the desired end result. It is well is the desired end result. She never let death or her feelings come out of her mouth. And how did it turn out? Just like she called it. Over in... Uh, uh, over in verse, um, well, she went to the prophet and he came to her. He came to her house. And uh, verse 32, and when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon uh, him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. 
It turned out just exactly like she called it, didn't it? It turned out just exactly like she called it. She did not, not allow fear or her feelings or death to ever come out of her mouth. All she ever said is, every time he asked her, when, he came, when she came to his house and they saw her coming up the road, he said, here comes that woman you know, that, that, where I stay. Run out and ask her, is all well with your husband? Is all well with you? Is all well with your child? What did she say? It is well. Amen? She didn't say, you'll never believe what happened. Let me tell you how bad it is. No, she never let those words come out of her mouth. It is well. She called things that be not as though they were. What if she had called it the way it was in the natural? It would have been a totally different outcome. This story would end a whole lot differently or it wouldn't even be in the Bible at all. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, let's look at the ministry of Jesus. Almost every miracle of healing and manifestation of God's power in Jesus' ministry came about, took place through this principle of calling things that are not as though they were. Calling things that do not exist as though they already existed. Now let's turn to Mark 5. And we're going to look at a couple of examples here in the ministry of Jesus. We just looked at one old, well, we've looked at two Old Testament examples or others, but I want to move on to the ministry of Jesus. Mark 5, um, 21, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. He's changing the scene and is calling for what is unseen by speaking the desired end result. That was the desired end result. Jesus, you come and you lay your hands on my daughter and she'll be healed and she shall live. What did he do? He just put in the destination and the GPS. This is where we're going. That's the final destination. He typed it in right there. Verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So he's spoken the desired end result, and now here comes a counterattack. Bad news. Bad report. And here was an opportunity for Jairus to change the destination and the GPS and dial in something different and let go of what he had already spoken in faith. He could have blown the whole thing right here. Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word, as soon as Jesus heard the bad report that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, 
Be not afraid, only believe. So when Jesus heard the bad report, he said, stop the fear and quit. Uh, stop the fear and keep believing. In other words, don't touch that GPS. Don't touch the final destination. Leave it where it is. Come lay your hands on my daughter and she shall live. That's the final destination. And Jesus said, don't touch it. Leave it right there. So, when these messengers came and brought the bad news, your daughter's dead, don't trouble the master any further. What did Jairus say in response to that bad news? Not one word. He did not say one word. He kept his mouth shut. And this was a huge response of faith. This was a huge expression of faith. Not to open his mouth. To, he had already spoken the desired end result. And it took great faith to keep his mouth shut and not say anything contrary to what he had already established. If he says anything at this point, it's going to be negative. And he kept his mouth shut. So when the pressure's on and everything is going against what God says, keep your mouth shut and don't say anything. Let's write this down. Um, words that are not spoken are much more powerful. Words that are not spoken are much more powerful than words that are spoken in unbelief. Words that are not spoken are much more powerful than words that are spoken in unbelief. So there are times when not saying anything is releasing great faith. It can be great faith just to keep your mouth closed and not say anything. God's word has already been spoken. You have already spoken and released it by calling things that are not seen as though they already existed. So keep the GPS set and don't move it. Verse 39, and when, so Jesus followed him to his house, and when he came in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. Now in the natural, she's dead. And Jesus said, she's not. She's just asleep. Now that sounds like a lie. But it's not a lie. He's affecting something by what he's saying. He's affecting what he sees by what he's saying. The words of Jairus had already been spoken. Come lay your hands on my daughter and she shall live and not die. So when the bad news came and Jairus kept his mouth shut and he stayed silent, that act of faith 
would not allow death to happen. It would not allow death to happen. It was a temporary thing. Jesus is calling things that are not as though they were. He's not lying. He's affecting something by what he's saying. He's not trying to convince them that she's alive. He's not trying to convince them she's alive. They're all, they all know that naturally she died. He's changing the scene by what he is saying. Verse 41, And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, To light the kumi, or a little girl, uh, I say unto thee, Arise. I say unto thee, Arise. That's the desired end result. I say unto thee, Arise. On every occasion that Jesus set out to change the scene, he absolutely would not talk about what was seen. On every occasion where Jesus set out to change what was seen, he absolutely would not talk about what was seen. What was seen was only temporary. And in the mind of God, it's only temporary. Now, let's turn to Luke 13. Luke 13, um, 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when she saw, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said to her, "Woman, you're going to be loosed one day if it's God's will." Is that what he said? You're going to be loosed one day in God's timing. Is that what he said? That's what most people today say. I believe God will heal me someday in his timing. No. He said, Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Past tense. Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. The complete Jewish Bible, that's the final destination. That's the desired end result. He spoke the desired end result. He didn't deny that she had an infirmity. He didn't deny that she was bent over. He just spoke what did not exist. Uh, you are loosed from your infirmity. The complete Jewish Bible says, Lady, you have been set free from your weakness. The contemporary English version says, You are now well. While she was bent over, he said, you are now well. The New Living Version says, Woman, you are now free from your trouble. Other translations say, you are healed or you are free. The uh, Lexham English Bible, this is good. The Lexham English Bible says, Woman, you are freed from your disability. So disabilities are covered just like sicknesses and diseases. There are people that are not sick. You know, they don't have a disease or life-threatening disease. They just have a disability. Well, we found out here they're covered. Amen? 
Ben, you are freed from your disability. Amen? It has left you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Same with your son, Andrew. He is freed from his disability. Hallelujah. So disabilities are covered. Amen? Uh, let's turn to John 2. What was that English Bible? Lexham. I think it's the Lexham English Bible. L-E-X-H-A-M. You can find it on the BibleGateway.com. That's got the 20-something whatever translations of the Bible on, online. Uh, BibleGateway.com. John 2. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, uh, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Let's go down to uh, verse 7. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. They're asking for wine, not water. And Jesus says, fill up the water pots with water. Now what's all that about? He's calling things that don't exist as if they already existed. He said, fill up the water pots with water. And then he said, take out some and take it to the governor of the feast. What's he doing? He's calling the water wine. He's calling the water wine. He's calling something that is not, as though it already were. And when that governor drank that cup, it wasn't water in there, it was wine. The Amen? Wine. The best wine, yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's, let's look at Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Jesus is in the synagogue again. And... Um, yeah, verse 10. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered or crippled. Crippled hand. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, you know, I don't know what you picture when you read this, but I've seen people before that had an arm that was about this long, and then they had a little kind of look like what was supposed to be, what was meant to be a hand on the end of it, you know, maybe a few little stubs or something that never developed. So that's what I think of when I, when I, uh, read this, his arm just never fully developed in his hand. And, and uh, so this man was there with the withered hand. And Jesus told him to stand up. And Jesus said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? And of course, nobody said anything. <laughs> and then Jesus said, Stretch forth your hand. 
Now, most people would say, I can't. That's what I came here for, is for you to pray for me so I would be healed. But this man didn't say that. He didn't say, I can't. Everybody there, including Jesus, knew that a crippled man with a crippled hand cannot stretch out his hand, but a well man can. And Jesus is calling his hand well. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was made whole like the other one. Now the Living Bible says, stretch out your arm, and as he did, his hand was, became normal. As he did, his hand became normal. So as he stretched out his hand, it became normal. Jesus called it well while it was still withered up. Jesus called it well while it was still crippled. The man had to call it well in order to stretch it out. He had to agree with Jesus that it was well in order to stretch it out and obey him. So when the man acted on that, it was well. Amen? So Jesus called the withered hand well while it was still withered. Amen? And the man acted on it, and it was made whole. Hallelujah. Praise God. We won't turn there, but you remember the man at the pool of Bethesda. It says he was there 38 years, I believe. Um, now, the man must have had a lot of faith and a lot of hope to keep coming there every day for 38 years. Most people wouldn't last 38 days. They would have given up 38 days and said, this is not working, forget it. But 38 years, this man is still there. So he must have had some hope and some faith of being healed. Otherwise, he wouldn't have kept coming there. But, he, but Jesus said to him, we're not going to read this whole thing, but Jesus said to him, I just want you to see this point. Will you be made whole? Now, if you read, look that up in other translations, it says, do you want to be healed? Now, that's not what Jesus really said. He didn't ask him if he wanted to be healed. It must have been obvious he wanted to be healed or he wouldn't have been there for 38 years. He said, will you be made healed? When, you know, when you pray for somebody and say, okay, we're praying for you, will you be made healed? Will you be healed when we pray for you? Well, I sure hope so. Well, they're not sure, are they? Will they be healed? Will you be healed? Yes, amen. Hallelujah. So, praise God. Uh, healing is an area where people tend to, to struggle. But calling things that are not seen as though they already existed is the way God operates. It's the way he changes the scene and brings about the desired end result. And God set it up this way, and we have to cooperate with his principles and operate according to his system. We take the promises of God as our inheritance, and it's the basis for the uh, finished work of Jesus. 
We call things that are not as though they were until they are manifested in our lives through the process of faith. Now, some people might say, well, why do we have to do all this? Why didn't God just do it anyway? Well, there's several reasons why God doesn't just do it anyway. God is a faith God, and he operates by faith and requires us to walk by faith. Another reason that God does not operate independently of man is because he will not break his word. He will not violate his word. He's not going to do something that violates his word. So uh, God is sovereign within his written and spoken word, but he cannot violate what he's already said. Another reason why uh, God doesn't just go around just doing things automatically is because he's given man a free will. He's given man a free will to choose. And if, if man makes a wrong choice, then that can limit what God can do. So because he's, he, he's given man a free will, God is not just operating independently of man. God gave this planet to Adam, lock, stock, and barrel. He could have given it to a monkey if he had wanted to, but he handed it over to the devil, and the, and the devil became the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And when that happened, God was on the outside looking in. God could not just run back down here and say, okay, Adam, you goofed it up. I'm taking this whole thing back over again, and I'm going to start all over. He couldn't do it. His word was already out. The devil heard him give this whole planet to Adam, all the authority and dominion over it. And if God had to run back in here and said, I'm taking this thing back over because you goofed it up, the devil would have said, you lied, bow your knee. So God had to have a way in order to legally operate in the earth again. And this is why he established a covenant with Abraham, which gave him a legal right to come back in here with man's cooperation and be able to intervene in the earth. So that's the whole purpose of that covenant. He said, if you'll cooperate with me, I'll be a God to you. I'll make your descendants like the stars of the sky. And I'll give you the, the whole land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. So when circumstances are contrary to God's word, we have to exercise our authority here and call things that are not as though they were, change the things so they are in agreement with God's word and God's will. So, you know, people tend to struggle with healing, but they're, they're trying to get God to do something that he's already done. And if you can get people to the point where they can get the revelation that Jesus has already paid for this and I don't have to have it and it's already been done, half of that battle is already won. Half of that battle's already won. The problem is God can't get people to, to be in agreement with him that he's already done it. That's a, the that's a struggle, is to get people into agreement with God that he's already done it, he's already healed them, and they just need to get into agreement with their actions and their words. Hallelujah.
So sickness does not belong to us. Jesus took it, so we don't have to have it. So we stop calling for sickness and weakness, and we start calling ourselves whole and strong. When we get into agreement with God's word and call things that are not as though they were, the power in God's word will manifest it and drive those symptoms out. That's what happened when Jesus said to that man, stretch out your arm. That's what happened. So, we're going to start calling ourselves strong. We're going to start calling ourselves healed. Amen? We call ourselves blessed. We call our family saved. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. We call our kids serving God. We call our houses paid for. We call our cars paid for. Amen? Praise God. So let's say this together. I follow my father. I follow Abraham. I follow Jesus. I call things that are not as though they already were. I do it every day. I do it all the time. I refuse to be called what the world calls. Or what the devil calls, or what the curse calls. I call my body healed. I call my body whole. I call my body strong. I call my mind clear. I call myself strong. I call my finances good. I'm blessed. I'm increasing more and more, me and my children. I call every bill paid. I call every need met. I'm prospering in abundance. I'm successful. I'm a blessing. I call my life victorious. 